Hello, everyone. Welcome to our brand new podcast show for the love of books, featuring indie and small press authors who bravely navigate the treacherous waters of independent publishing. I will be your host, Emma, and we're going to have a blast as we move forward to opening up America. It is my pleasure to present to you author Don Levin, who has spent 11 books, including the Martin Cruz mystery series and his newest release in the House of Night. Hi, Don. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> pleasure to be with you. Good to have you here. How has your career impacted your writing? Um, that's an interesting question. I've, I've had a number of careers. So um, for, for a long time, for uh, like 25 years, I was a writer. I was actually a, a professional writer. Uh, and I earned my living not by writing novels, but by writing uh, speeches and grants and uh, newsletters and uh, just about everything you can think of except journalism. I didn't really write much journalism. But I worked for hospitals. I worked for um, the um, New York City Department of Health as a speechwriter. Um, I worked for ad agencies. So I had uh, I had quite a bit of um, experience as a as a as a, essentially a, a public relations or advertising writer. Um, and when I got tired of doing that, um, I decided I wanted to go back to school and um, get a degree so I could teach in college because I wanted to teach what I had learned as a writer. So I went back to school and uh, got a PhD and um, subsequently got a job uh, teaching English at um, one of the colleges in, um, in Detroit. And I sub subsequently became um, Dean of Faculty uh, towards the end of my term there. But so, so I've had, you know, as you can see, I've had a number of different careers. Um, the thing that the writing career did for me um, was give me great work habits. I think that's probably the, the biggest advantage. And it, it also made me very fluent as a writer. Um, I realized that you, you can't wait for inspiration. Um, if you have a, a speech due, if the, if the guy that you work for is waiting in his office uh, so he can catch a plane to go to Washington to deliver a speech, you have to have it ready at uh, 12 o'clock or whenever it's due. You don't have the option of saying, you know, I just didn't feel it today. I, I couldn't, couldn't get into it. So I learned how to be a, a, a workmanlike uh, professional writer. And that has stood me in tremendously good stead um, today. As I, as I know that the, the, the writing is its own inspiration. So that rather than wait for inspiration to strike, I know that uh, you have to sit down and start writing. And in that way, inspiration will come. Um, the other thing that, uh, that the teaching did for me, I think, is um, it gave me um, a good sense of how people learn and um, how people read. Uh, I, taught, I, I taught, basically I taught writing and I also taught literature. Um, so, you know, I had the usual sort of uh, English majory background. Um, and as I, as I taught more and more different kinds of courses and I was a generalist, 
um, I expanded my reading uh, tremendously. So I think you know between the between the the good work habits and the the um, the, the massive reading that I've done, I think that has really um, contributed to helping me as a writer. Yes, but you've never been a detective, right? And no. you're. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's, <laughs> and yet your main hero is Detective P.I. Martin Cruz. Is he anything like you? Um, he is, actually. Um, I, of course, I haven't been a detective. And uh, the, one of the first things that people ask me when I'm at uh, book events is, do I have a law enforcement background? And I have to say, I don't have a law enforcement background. Uh, what I do have a background is in reading mysteries. Um, and I have a background in research, so I know how to, to research uh, these kinds of things. Um, so um, the, um, what, I, what I wind up doing is um, doing an awful lot of um, searching online, uh, talking to people. Uh, you know, you asked me what, my, um, what my, my, my background, my career contributed to my writing. As a, as a professor, I was also a researcher. So that helped me a great deal in researching. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I, my background is in writing and it's in education. And uh, I did the kind of research that, uh, that you have to do to right. understand these kinds of things. And so how I, did you, oh, sorry. I just say, I, you know, I talked to lawyers, I talked to a policeman. Okay. I to, uh, uh-huh. One of my friends is the chief of police, uh, the ex-chief of police in Ferndale. So uh, he oh. gives me tips and pointers. Um, so I, I keep on the uh, I keep on the straight and narrow that way. Was there a specific moment that spurred off this entire series? It's a seven book series, Martin Proof okay. series. Was there a specific moment that you can pinpoint that set off this whole chain? Uh, there actually is. Um, I had been reading a lot of uh, mystery series, uh, and I had been reading in particular um, Henning Menkel's um, books uh, on um, Kurt Wallander. Um, you may be familiar with Kurt Wallander from the um, Kenneth Branagh uh, um, adaption, which in my opinion is not very good. But um, I, was, I, I liked that book a lot. And I like that series a lot. And um, as I was thinking about getting back into uh, writing novels, um, I was, I, I did a lot of writing poetry uh, for several years um, around uh, the 2000s. Um, and I was called on to do something um, to write a, um, a long report for school. And I remembered how much I liked the long form. Uh, obviously, the report wasn't fiction, but I, I, I remembered how much I liked uh, essentially running a marathon uh, in language, uh, which is run, what writing a novel is. Um, so I knew I wanted to write a detective story, and I thought maybe I would turn it into a series. But I was driving down a semi-rural street in um, uh, Buffalo. Uh, New York, which is where I lived. Uh, I had a house there at the time. Uh, and so it was sort of bilocated between Buffalo and Detroit. And um, I was driving down this street and I saw a deer crossing sign. 
And as you sometimes see in deer crossing signs in the, in the rural areas, uh, there were bullet holes in it. And as I was driving by that deer crossing sign, in the instant I was driving by it, I happened to look past it and I saw there was a house in the distance. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what would happen if somebody surely innocently took a shot at that deer crossing sign, missed, and the bullet went into the house. And if somebody happened to be standing at the window uh, in, in a case of extreme bad luck, uh, it would be a, a, a catastrophe and nobody would ever know what had happened. So that was the germ of the first book. And the first book isn't really about that. It's about something similar to that, but that got me thinking about what might happen in that kind of circumstance. Um, and once I got the first book under my belt um, and I, I realized that I really enjoyed it and I liked the character um, and I liked all the characters in the series uh, and I had always read mysteries, even when I was a little boy, I, I read mysteries. Um, so I, that, that really, that, that moment, that driving by the, the deer crossing sign was the moment that um, sort of sparked this whole thing. And how did you develop this main character that you liked so much, Martin Cruz? How did the character development come about? Um, in part, uh, because I'm, um, I'm working in this genre that's, that's well known to, to people, uh, there are certain sort of aspects of the detective that people understand and people expect and that are part of the series. Um, for example, you know, we, we've all seen uh, um, and, and read about detectives who are sort of these tortured guys, you know, uh, social loners, um, and um, not quite a misfit, but just you know, out of the out of the ordinary stream. So there's that part of it. I I knew there was going to be that part of it, and then. Um, I started to develop him out of my own character so that he does a lot of things that I do. He enjoys playing guitar. He uh, enjoys Chinese food, for example. Um, and especially he enjoys being with his son uh, whose name in the book is Toby. Toby Pruce is, a, is really a main character of the entire series. And Toby is... Um, profoundly multiply handicapped, lives in a group home because Martin Cruz as a widower can't take care of him because all of his needs need to be, all of Toby's needs need to be taken care of his, his daily living skills. He can't, he can't dress himself. He can't feed himself. He can't wash himself. He has CP, cerebral palsy. And Toby is based on my grandson uh, whose name was Jamie who was unfortunately no longer with us. But Toby is a way for me to keep Jamie uh, alive in my mind and the mind of all of us who knew and loved him. So once I realized that, that Toby slash Jamie was gonna be a part of this character, uh, I was able to infuse the character with a lot of my own feelings about uh, Toby. Um, he, Martin Proust loves Toby um, fiercely, 
and um, spends every day he can, every, every moment he can with him. He goes to see him uh, in the morning before Toby goes off to his school program. Uh, he visits him at night. Um, so in part, it, the, the, the part of Proust that's connected to Toby is based not only on me, but also on um, my stepdaughter, whose, whose name is Lisa, who was Jamie's mother. Um, and so I, I infuse this character with, with um, a lot of different kinds of elements of my own life, of other people's lives, of what I thought somebody like him would be like. Um, and the, the other part of that was that I knew I didn't want to create a super detective, you know, one of these uh, hard drinking, hard fighting, uh, womanizing kinds of uh, stereotypes that we see in, in uh in hard-boiled detective fiction. I wanted him to be a regular guy. I wanted him to, uh, to have this, um, this son who he loves very much. I wanted him to have uh, demons, certain kinds of demons to, uh, that he has to deal with uh, in his personal life. But I knew I, I didn't want him to be uh, a Superman. I want him to be a regular guy. Like, you know, you, you know, Everybody knows uh, uh, policemen, everybody knows detectives, and they're just regular guys. You know, they want to come home at night, just like everybody else. Uh, they have a job to do. They take pride in their work. Um, so that's, that's the other part of the character um, uh, development that I sort of braided into uh, Martin Proust. Okay. In the House of Night, you sat. Martin Proust on this dangerous journey across different environments. And yes. that in your description, you also book description, you also talk about family secrets. Can you reveal them? Um, I can't reveal them now because that would be spoilers. Um, but, you know, everybody has family secrets, I think. And mm -hmm. um, we all do. Uh, we all do. And a lot of the Martin Proust books are about. Uh, different families' secrets okay. and different families' dynamics. So uh, this book is about that too. Uh, the book starts out when a retired professor um, is murdered in his house and um, two friends of the professor are not happy with the progress of the uh, police investigation. So they go to Martin Proust, who is a private investigator in this book, in the series, he starts out as a, a police detective for um, a fictionalized uh, Ferndale Police Department, which is where I live and where the books are set uh, outside Detroit. Um, so the two friends go to uh, Martin Proust and, and they say, you know, we're, we're unhappy with the direction this, uh, this is taking. Can you help us out? Can you look into it? Can you find out what happened to our dear friend who is no longer with us? And at first he says, well, you know, it's a police investigation. They don't like me to, uh, um, to get involved in active investigations. But then as he thinks about it, he warms to the idea and he says, well, okay, I'll, I'll look into it as much as I can. I'll stay in the, uh, in the corners of the investigation so I don't get in the police way. So as he investigates this uh, retired professor, he investigates his family, he investigates his associates, he investigates his students. He investigates a lot of different aspects of this character's life. Um, 
And, you know, to me, that's the, that's the interesting part of writing mysteries. The interesting part of writing mysteries is not uh, the mystery itself necessarily or the puzzle, but it's getting into the lives of the characters, uh, investigating the, the lives of these characters seen through the lens of crime. Um, and I, I find that very compelling. Uh, so that's what I try to do in this book. And that's what I try to do in, in um, all of the books. What do you feel you did right throughout this series? And what would you have done differently? Good question. Um, I think I got, I got a couple of things right. I, I know I got Toby right. I know I got um, what it means to parent a multiply handicapped child. I know I got that right because I, I saw my stepdaughter do it um, and I, in, in, in every respect possible, uh, Toby is a mirror image of the real Jamie. Um, so I, I know I got that right. And I, a lot of people who read the books tell me that they're, they're very struck by not only the relationship between Proust and, and Toby, but also by uh, the challenges and the rewards of parenting a, a profoundly multiple, multiply handicapped child. So now I got that part right. I also think I got the, um, I got the police work right because I, uh, I was very careful about that. Um, and as I said, I talked to policemen about it. I talked to lawyers. Uh, I had an attorney go over uh, the first book very carefully to, um, to, to let me know what, I was, uh, what, what was right and what was wrong. So I think I got that right. I also think I got the, uh, the family dynamics right in the different books. Um, you know, everybody, everybody has a dysfunctional family of, of one sort or another. And um, uh, I, I, think I, I think I have been a, a doing a good job in, in probing that. What would I do differently? Um, the one thing I think I would do differently uh, is about one book in particular. There's a book called An Uncertain Accomplice which is the, let me see, one, two, three, four, it's the fifth book in the series. Okay. Um, and um, it's a very short book. It's only about 40,000 words. Uh, and the, the rest of the books run 70, 80,000 words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and the plot of that book was going to be um, part of the plot of the sixth book, um, Cold Dark Lies. And as I was as I was writing the book, because I wanted to have these two parallel plots going on, um, and as I was uh, as I was writing it, I realized that I was having trouble keeping the plot straight and the characters straight. So the readers would certainly have the trouble. So what I did was I peeled off the plot for an uncertain accomplice and made it its own book. I think if I were to do that again, um, I would make it a longer book. I would develop it more as a as a longer novel. Than, uh, than as the short novel that it wound up being. What are the major takeaways from your newest book in the House of Night? I think the thing that I want people to take away most is the uh, threat posed by domestic terrorism. As Proust gets involved in this mystery, uh, what happened to this uh, poor 
professor who wound up uh, dead in, in the basement of his house. He gets involved with some really bad people. And the bad people that he gets involved with are um, part of the rising tide of white supremacist terrorism that we, that we see in, in the headlines uh, yeah. every day. Um, so what I, what I wanted to do in this book is, um, is, is bring that forward as um, a serious threat and examine why that's a threat, examine where it comes from, um, and um, examine what are, what are the things that, that we can do about them, you know, uh, because it's a, I, think it's, it's, I think it's one of the most serious threats that we face today. Um, and, you know, I think um, right-wing domestic terrorism is uh, at the top of everybody's list on, on what, is, uh, you know, what is facing our country now. So that really is the main takeaway, how, how chilling it is, um, how widespread it is, um, and how it must be, uh, it must be faced head on. You know, we, we can't just say it's a, it's a fringe movement anymore. Absolutely. So we cannot be complacent. No, we have to be on guard all the time. Yep. What have you learned about yourself from your writing? Uh, another good question. You're asking good questions. Um, it's funny that I, I don't I don't write for self expression. You know, I don't write to discover things about myself. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was doing poetry, I would uh, I would uh, write those kinds of things. You know, explore how I feel about certain things. Yeah. But yeah. when I write these novels, um, all of my attention is focused outward. It's focused on the characters. Mm-hmm. It's focused on the stories. It's focused on um, the, the, the plot. Uh, it's focused on the world that I'm trying to create in the books. So um, I, I, I can't really say that I, I go into these um, or come out of these actually, um, learning more things about myself. I come out of them learning more things about the world, about, uh, for one thing, the threat of uh, domestic terrorism, for example. So each, each one of the books I learn, I learn different things about because it gives me a chance to, to learn about the world uh, that, that Proust is moving through. Okay. What sets you apart from other authors other than the genre? I think what sets me apart is uh, Toby. Actually, um, I have never really seen uh, in in literature um, very often or at all uh, a a full, well-rounded description of a character who is uh, ha- has handicaps the the way Toby does. Um, and I think that certainly sets me apart from um, from other mystery writers because I've never seen this in in mysteries. Um, and I think the, what, what Toby does with his father, with Martin Proust, is um, a, a deepening of his own character. And you know, Toby grounds him, Toby te- teaches him what's really important. Um, and um, I, I think it's that added dimension that Toby adds to the books um, and, and specifically to Martin Proust as the main character. Um, that really sets me apart. I, that, that's how I think about it anyway. 
Would you do it all over again? First, your academic career followed by your writing, or would you switch something around? Well, you actually were a writer first, then yes. you went into academics and then back into writing. Yes. So would you repeat that cycle again, or would you change something in it? I probably would do it all different to, to, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways to live and, uh, and to work. And I've picked um, several of those ways. I've you know, sort of continually reinventing myself. But I think if I had to do it all over again, honestly, um, depending on how far back in my life I go, I would, I would just do things differently. Uh, if, I went, uh, if I went back to elementary school, I would, I would go into music more. I would have been a musician. Uh, if I uh, were to go back into uh, to college and do it all over again, I probably um, would go into acting, uh, funnily enough. So I don't know if I would, uh, if I would do the same things all over again. I, I, think, I think I would do things differently. Okay. You published during the pandemic. Share with our listeners, how did the publishing go, including the book launch affected by COVID? Well, the book launch was very affected by uh, COVID. Um, in, in the writing of it, um, the writing of it was not so much affected by COVID because what I did during the writing of it was, uh, was what I usually do during the writing of a book. I, you know, I, I, I hunker down, I focus in on the book. Um, it takes me about three months to write the um, draft, the first draft. Then it takes me another uh, four or five months to do the rewrites uh, and uh, revisions. And then um, the, the production of the book takes another couple of months. So from, from the standpoint of you know, being locked in, in quarantine, that didn't really change. Um, it didn't change the writing of it. Um, what it did change is um, the book launch because I usually do a, 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 a fairly nice party like for, for the book launch with music and refreshments. And, you know, and I invite people uh, and it's a, it's a very nice thing. We have a conversation and I read the part of the book and like that. Obviously I couldn't do that this time. Neither uh, could I. No. Um, so what, what I did differently is uh, I tried to do something um, on um, an, as a, as a video uh, book launch. And that had um, advantages and that had disadvantages. Uh, the advantages of that um, were that um, number one, it gave people who were in different parts of the country uh, a chance to sort of take part in the, in the book launch. Um, you know, people in the East Coast, people in Florida, people, people all over the place who might not have had a chance to actually come to an actual book launch got a chance to participate. Um, so that was nice. I think that was that it expanded the reach, therefore. The reach. Um, I think the, the, the thing it didn't do uh, and, the, and the thing that I, I, I came out really noticing a, a change in is when I do the book launches, I, I usually sell an, a lot of books at the launch because people just come up and buy them. Um, that didn't happen this time with a video book launch. Uh, I did a video launch on, um, on, on Facebook basically. Uh, and I did everything you have to do. You know, I publicized it and, and all that kind of stuff, but it's still harder 
um, to sell books when people just can't come up to the front of the room and buy them and you can sign them and, and, um, and like that. Uh, so that was, that was sort of a disappointment. You know, the, the books that I sell at the, uh, at the launches uh, was disappointing for me. For, for the book launch. And the other thing that, that the, the um, COVID uh, um, pandemic uh, affected was sales of all, of all the books. As you yourself know, all the, the author events were canceled last year. Um, so we couldn't go out to, to, to peddle our wares. Um, and I think that was difficult. I know every, every, every author I know uh, suffered from that. So, um, so the writing of its pandemic didn't didn't really so much uh, impact the launch of it and the uh, and the sales of it uh, really were the um, where where I saw the differences. Yes, I would have to agree that the selling during the height of the pandemic was extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, non-existent. In fact. What are your future writing plans as far as the series? the Martin Proust series, will you continue? And then uh, your other writings. Uh, those are questions actually I ask myself uh, every day. Um, I don't Me know too. if- <laughs> that's, that's what being a writer means, you know, you ask yourself these questions. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to go back to the Proust series. I know okay. I'm, I'm taking a break from it right now. Okay. I left it in a place where uh, I'm, I'm satisfied that Martin Proust and, and his son Toby are in a good place. Um, I could, you know, I've got ideas for three or four other Martin Proust books, so I could go back to it if I wanted to, but I don't know if I will. What I'm working on right now is, um, is, a, is a departure for me. I'm working on a historical crime novel that's set in Detroit in 1932. So um, it's, uh, it, it, it brings together uh, gangsters and, and labor unions and uh, corrupt uh, politicians and all kinds of good stuff. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm knee deep in that right now. I finished the, the draft of it and I'm working through the first rewrite. Um, so I expect that will be out um, either towards the end of the year or beginning of next year. That's so that's the, that's the next book. Uh, that's the next um, writing project that's that's in the works. Excellent. Don, would you like to read to us? I would love to. Thank you. Um, I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to read a, a chapter about Toby. Um, you know, I, I always go back and forth when I read um, uh, from these novels uh, a section because it's, it's so hard to pull out a section that isn't dependent on other things. You have to know who this character is and what's going on and how, what's, what's happening. So um, what, I, what I like to do is give people a, a, a feel for what the, the, the Toby parts of it. So this takes place um, towards the end of the first day of the investigation. And as I mentioned, Martin Cruz um, visits Toby every night at his group home um, to say goodnight to him, to help give him his bath at night, uh, to kiss him goodnight, to read him a story, to just spend, spend time with his, 
his loving son. Um, so this is at the end of the first night of the investigation. Um, and he goes to Toby's house. Toby was out at, a, at an event during the day. So he comes back and this is what he finds. This is Martin Proust. Um, and this is our introduction to Toby in the novel. Everybody was yelling in Toby's house, the residents, the staff, even the visitors. Toby lived in his group home with five other young men and women who were handicapped and considered to be technologically dependent, who, like Toby, depended on some function of technology for their survival. Tonight's bowling adventure had been one of the monthly outings for all the residents who weren't tethered to ventilators. Now all the bowlers were overstimulated from the trip, so they were yelling and growling and carrying on happily. The staff and visitors weren't as loud, but they were shouting to each other to be heard over the din. Toby was particularly excited. He lay on his back chair in the full whirlpool tub in the bathroom, vocalizing at the top of his lungs. Bruce stuck his head into the room and said, man, are you noisy? Recognizing his father's voice set Toby off on an even louder outburst. He couldn't articulate words, but he could say syllables and verbalize sounds. And that's what he was doing now. Toby had a great time at the bowling alley, his aide Melissa said. So I hear, Bruce said. I thought a bath might calm him down, but not so much. Bruce leaned over the bathtub. Toby looked at him out of the corner of his eye, which is where he could see best. He had limited vision because of his deteriorating optic nerve, but his other senses were good, especially his hearing. Proust planted a kiss on the side of Toby's face, warm, wet, and soapy. Toby wagged his head back and forth happily. He was microcephalic, so his head was smaller than normal, a perfect oval setting off his deep brown almond-shaped eyes. His nose had a slight Brando-esque bump on the bridge. To Proust, he was beautiful beyond description. Did you have fun tonight, Proust asked. Toby vocalized something that sounded very much like, yeah. As a student of his son's communication skills, Proust could usually figure out his son's mood by the inflections of his vocalizations, his facial expressions, and his general body language. Sometimes it was easy, like now. We're almost done here, Melissa said. Just need to rinse off. I'll go lay out his pajamas, Proust said. Proust went into Toby's room and discovered Melissa had already laid out his son's PJs. So he straightened up the room, setting Toby's CDs in order, folding Toby's clean clothes in his bureau drawers, and then picked up the $40 garage sale acoustic guitar he kept in the corner and began to play. It was way out of tune, but he gave it a quick tuning by ear and started picking Dylan's Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. As always, playing music calmed him. Bruce had left Trombley's house. Trombley is, is a, one of his former colleagues on the police department in Ferndale, who, who Trombley visited to find out about the uh, investigation. Bruce had left Trombley's house worried that the case might bring him into conflict again with the Ferndale PD. Bruce was still upset at the way he felt he had to separate from the department, and he had suspected that the Bright case would dredge up all his bad feelings. Toby, too, had quieted down by the time Melissa got him into his wheelchair and rode him back into his room. But as soon as he heard his father's guitar, he took a deep snorting breath and began screaming again. Melissa and Proust both gave a shout of laughter. Toby, you're so funny, she said. 
You're never going to sleep tonight. Toby squealed in joy, opening his mouth in a crooked smile, showing the goofy, charming gap between his front teeth. His laugh was the sweetest sound in the world. How is school, Chris asked, and found the notebook in Toby's school bag with his teacher's daily note. Toby had a great day, Cruz read aloud from his vice's note. We learned about plants, and Toby got 100 on the quiz. Toby had a computerized communication device called a Dynavox. It would replay previously recorded messages Toby could hear whispered in his ear when the message he wanted to say came around. He hit a switch with his forearm, and the device would speak out the message he requested. He used it to communicate in class during their activities, like the test. A hundred, Pooh said. Toby laughed again. He was in a great mood. Are you going to ruin the class average? Be careful. Your friends won't like you anymore. I never had that problem, Melissa said. You're way smarter than me, Toby. Pruce leaned down to wrap his son in a hug. He could smell the apple fragrance in Toby's hair from his shampoo. Hey, know what? Pruce said. I love you very much. Toby hummed his happy reply, which Pruce interpreted to mean... I love you too, Dad. The perfect ending to a day, Bruce thought. I'll end it there. The, the chapter goes on. Um, Bruce puts Toby to bed, and then he goes home, and he thinks about his new case. But that's it just gives you a little flavor of what, uh, what the Toby sections are like. I like Toby. Yeah, thank you. Everybody loves Toby. Toby's everybody's favorite character. Thank you. Before we do our parting shots, I would like to thank our sponsors of the show, Doc Chauvin and Digital Quill Services for Writers with author Colleen Nye. Don, can you give us your parting shots? Yes. Uh, thank you very much for having me today. I, I appreciate it. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Um, I enjoy your podcast very much. I listen to the other ones that you've done. Thank you. Uh, and I'm very proud to be um, one in your, in your series. Um, anybody who wants to know more about me can check out my website, um, www.donaldlevin.com. That's D-O-N-A-L-D-L-E-V-I-N.com. And there you'll find, uh, information on all the books. You'll also find, um, buttons that you can buy the books if you so desire. Um, and, um, the last thing I want to just say is, is thank you for, for uh, shining light on independent authors. I, I think that's very important to do. Um, oftentimes we get, uh, we get lost in the noise of publishing. Um, so it's, uh, you're, you're, you're doing a very good service for us, and I, I thank you for it. It's great. It's been great so far. Also, one more question. Where can people find you in person this summer? Uh, I'm, I'm not doing very many uh, events this summer. I was supposed to go to uh, the Lakeshore Art Festival in Muskegon, uh, but it turns out I had a conflict about that. So um, I don't really have that many um, uh, events lined up, but if people are interested, uh, as I said, they can go to my website and they can uh, find out information about me, information about where I might be, and um, information about the books. Okay. And my parting shots are buy indie, read indie, and write indie. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you, Don, for being on our show.
Thank you. Thank you.